This is Mama Unleashed. Knowledge, information, truth and tools for you so you can become the happiest mother you know. Hello and welcome to Mama Unleashed, the podcast for women who want the most out of motherhood. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hacker-Pearson. If you ask anyone about me, they will probably say I'm the one who is extremely passionate about how a woman's brain changes when we become mothers and how we can use these changes as a catalyst to feel truly happy in motherhood. And that's true, particularly because we don't talk about these changes and most mothers have no idea about the amazing things that are going on in her brain. So she often feels or has been told that motherhood has impacted her negatively and her brain has been downgraded, AKA baby brain. But what if in actual fact, baby brain is an upgrade for our brain? I cannot contain my excitement because today I speak with Dr. Jody Paluski about exactly that. Jodi is amazing. She's a neuroscientist, psychotherapist, and mother of two. And for almost the last 20 years, her research has focused on the neuroscience of motherhood and the effects of maternal mental illness and antidepressant medications on the mother and her offspring. She is as passionate to understand and talk about how a woman's brain changes when we become mothers as I am, which is just awesome. And she's also extremely passionate about increasing our understanding of the amazing things our brains do when we parent. Jodi hosts the podcast, Mummy Brain Revisited, where she talks more about this with other leading researchers in the field. And she has just released her book, Mummy Brain, which will be available in English very soon. And I cannot wait, and I will definitely tell you about it when it's here. Today, Jodi and I also dive into the neuroscience of maternal mental health and discuss how expectations in motherhood and our understanding around maternal mental illness can influence our experience of matrescence. Hi Jodie, thank you so very much for being on Mama Unleashed. I have to admit that you're like one of my sort of um, guests that I've been wishing and, and hoping to come on the podcast. So thank you very much for being here and, and sharing your wisdom with us. And and I was wondering, um, your research is is so important and so amazing. And I was wondering whether you can just tell us a little bit about that to start with. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much for having me. It's really, I'm really excited about our conversation, what we're going to talk about. I mean, I'm always excited to talk about how the brain changes with motherhood. Um, so here we go. But I mean, just to give a general overview is I do research in motherhood and, how, and the neuroscience of motherhood and maternal behavior and maternal mental health. And and uh, you know, really over the past five years, I, I wrote a review on the neurobiology of postpartum depression and anxiety in 2017. And over those past five years, I've been spending a lot more time actually sharing the research that I do, but also the research of others in the field with you know, the general public, because there's really this need to understand how the brain is changing across pregnancy and the postpartum period. Is it unique to moms? What happens in dads? And this area of research has really, really been growing, which is fantastic. And I, I also think, you know, we need to start sharing this as science scientists a bit more as well. But my research has really been, you know, the main interest is the understanding how the brain changes uh, across pregnancy in the postpartum period with stress, 
I do some work with antidepressant medications, looking at a specific area in the brain, the hippocampus, which is important for stress regulation, as well as a, a memory. And then I also uh, love to talk about memory changes with motherhood as well. Mm. That's where I really started my research. So um, yeah, so a little bit of everything, a lot of just mom brain changes, what goes on. And, and that's really where I, what I'm curious about. That's awesome. And, and I'd really like to delve into the um, the maternal mental health issues a little bit more. But to start with, can we just throw one myth out, just throw it out with the bathwater, baby brain or mommy brain? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's put this out there because, yeah, I, yeah, mommy brain, mom brain, baby brain, pregnancy brain, porridge brain, momnesia, whatever, lactation brain, someone brought that up. Uh, I've heard yeah. That one before. <laughs> yeah, it's actually I I think in German they have something that's breastfeeding brain and pregnancy brain as well words for that like yeah this is interesting so let's get comfortable and dig in um yeah so you know if you ask a mom so these are my thoughts around this and we need more research so I'm going to preface it with that but we know that if you ask a mom about basically the brain and motherhood, she's probably going to, the first thing that will come to mind is that she's losing her mind and her memory. This is quite common. There's research sh- showing that, you know, you ask moms, they'll say 80% of them even will say that they feel that there's some memory changes that are happening. And so this is really interesting because I think, okay, if 80% of population feel something's going on, then there must be something there. But the science, although there's not a lot of it, what the science is really showing is if you bring a mom into the lab to do some memory tests and you have a non-mom do the same memory test, often the memory is quite is the same. There's a couple areas maybe with verbal memory or with working memory, some short-term type memory where there could be slight deficits, but nothing that would impact the ability to perform daily functioning or work. So, I mean, we need more research in this area, but what's also interesting to me is that we did one study um, when I was in grad school on this, where we had pregnant women come in the lab, non-pregnant women come in the lab to do some tests. And then we also had them do some tests um, at home. They had to do a couple of things and it was a different type of memory again, um, the ability to remember to do something. And the pregnant women actually didn't do that test so well when they're at home, but they had a similar test in the lab, which they did well. And so then, you know, when I think of this, I think of, ah, we actually, there's something there about maybe the home environment, the mental load, something going on there that could be playing a role in how, and what a a mom is experiencing when she talks about memory. But, you know, there's been research recently this year that came out that really showed that there's enhancements in memory during pregnancy. Mm. And in fact, enhancements geared towards remembering things that are necessary for baby. And so I think this is also really important to remember. And I like to think of this as there's a shift in what our brain is wanting to do or geared to do, because of course, especially as a pregnant person, you are investing in producing a baby. So from an evolutionary perspective, I like to think your brain is also going to be prepared to quickly learn how to care for that baby and keep it alive. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to be the primary caregiver, of course, but there's this biological process that's happening to ensure that this investment in pregnancy actually pays off. And so I think there's a reorganization in our brains of how it 
functioning and what its focus is is on. Um, I still would like to see more research exactly on memory so we can kind of get at this subjective memory bit. So this bit where moms are saying there's a problem and then there's the piece where in the lab there's not a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a couple issues there is one, we need to do more research. Two, we have historically as women and as mothers not been um, thought of as being smart or intelligent so when we start to experience something in our intelligence not working so well, we're perhaps hyper tuned to that. And that becomes our emphasis when in fact, it's it's something quite minor. This is an idea that I think about sometimes. I also think there is something to, you know, a role of sleep, for example, in memory. Although again, on the test in the lab, sleep was controlled for and they did just as well. Mm -hmm. But the more tired a woman is, the more likely she will say she has a memory issue um, in the postpartum. So it's really complex, but I really, really, really want us to get away from thinking about our brains as uh, not working well. And that's where the myth is, is this idea that it's just not working. And in fact, it's working really, really well. And for sure, maybe there's some trade-offs. So some things aren't working as well, or something feels off. Um, but there's a shift because you have a shift in your emotions, a shift in your cognition and memory. And, and that's geared towards keeping baby alive, essentially, mm -hmm. or at least that's how I like to think about it. Yeah. So I'd love baby brain to be something that's amazing. And we well, think and, about it as it amazing. Is. It is. It is. Like, and mommy brains. And it's like the neuroplasticity, yes. which we'll um, speak about, and about the changing. Like you said, the, the, the fact that the brain is changing to now nurture another human being is amazing in itself. And so, yes, it's maybe that, yeah. we forget that, you know, we put the keys on the counter or whatever it is that's bothering us. But there are other greater things happening. And we need to yeah. emphasize that. And that's where I think there's this issue with, I can't remember the proper word in psychology, but the, the you know, where we have to change our focus. Cause the problem is, is I think we get focused on the deficit and that's not healthy. It's a bias. It's a bias. And whereas we we have to realize all the things that we're doing that we're not really aware of, like, mm. you know, when we're learning to parent and that's super amazing. I'm really yeah. intrigued. I'm, so, I'm a really curious person. <laughs> But I'm curious about like, aside from the fact that you mentioned the mental load, I think that as a mother, you when you're at home, there's a lot more like tabs open if your brain was a computer, yes. let's say. But also, um, how much of it is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? But, but how we're expecting to have this baby brain and this mommy yes. brain. And so do yes. we bring it by yes. expecting it to be there? Yeah. And, that, and that's part of like this bias where it's like, yeah. oh, everyone said this was going to happen. And now yeah, it right, did. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, I can speak from experience and I had started research in this area before having kids. I have two. Um, but I did like have a hard time finding some words. No doubt about it. Um, eh, not super bad, but I did notice it. But did I notice it because I expected it to happen? Maybe. Did it really happen? in a different amount than before I don't know and I think there's something to that I mean but you know you can ask anybody if they have too much stuff going on regardless of having kids or not their brain's just not going to be functioning there's going to be forgetfulness and there's going to be like it's it's going to be hard to think clearly you know our brains can function really well but they also need to be taken care of mm -hmm. so I think there's something to that as well as this reorganization that's happening with parenthood where the brain is really like geared towards 
baby and learning how to yeah. take care of baby. Yeah. And, and you're right. And I think it's just the evolutionary process that if the brain is challenged and there are too many things going on, it will pick the most important things to do. I mean, it makes sense, we know right? That. We know that. Like yeah. you just look at the fight or flight response, you know, yeah, we know exactly. that. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so interesting. So let's just throw that out. Like, let's just not yeah. <laughs> talk about yeah, that. Yeah. So anymore. let's like, yeah, your brain is doing amazing things when you become a parent. I mean, you, especially when you become a mom, because I think it's the moms that suffer the most with this idea. It's not the dads this idea of memory loss is the moms and really mom's brains are amazing and do amazing things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think if we think of it in terms of, of it, of an upgrade, um, it, it will also give the, the mothers a lift, you know, to like say, Oh, my brain is getting yeah. upgraded rather than I'm being demoted now. And, um, yeah. and on, on that topic, let's talk a little bit more about the neuroplasticity and the brain changes that happen that we know about already. I mean, like you said, the, the research is, um, getting there. We, we're doing more and more, but yeah. you know, um, let's talk about what we already know. Yeah. So let's talk about this. And some of this research I'm going to talk about is, is my research and some of the research of others, but I'll start with maybe the human research, which isn't research I've done, um, just to give a general overview. Um, so basically we know now two main things happen in a human brain and lots of stuff happens in, you know, in the brain in general from the work we've done in animal models where we can do a deep dive but in humans we're seeing two main things coming out changes in structure of the brain across pregnancy so the size i should say that was size and then changes in uh, activity mm -hmm. okay so these are two different ways to think about it which i think are really important so we know that from before pregnancy to the postpartum period, there's a shift or in the sides of the brain and a kind of a shrinkage essentially. So there is an early study showing it was about a 5% overall decrease. And then more recent work has really shown that it's about 1% decrease in the size of certain brain areas that are important for uh, social behaviors. So everyone always is like, oh my gosh, so for sure my brain is shrinking. I for sure have baby brain. This is kind of the headline that's been yeah. come out with that research, which is totally not what they found. Uh, they found, and it's Elselina Huxima at University of Amsterdam and Susanna Carmona in Madrid. I know them both fairly well. Uh, but they found that that decrease in size was really important for an increase in uh, feelings of attachment to the baby and didn't relate to any memory um, changes that they had done in their study. So there's no, no relationship with memory. So that's important to remember. We also know um, that in the early months postpartum from other re research, there seems to be kind of an increase in the size of certain brain areas important for parenting, and then back down to this kind of decrease that lasts even up to six years. So this, this decrease or this efficiency, I like to think of it as fine tuning. And we have a review out on this yes. talking about it fine tuning that yeah. less can't be more. I mean, in English, we talk about dynamite coming in small packages, right? <laughs> so just because something's small doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's actually could do really amazing things. So, so I like to think of it as fine tuning, but if we do like a deep dive into the structure, cause people will be like, oh, but I lost neurons. That's why it's like this, you know, it's shrunk. And it's like, no, actually from the research that I've done and others, we're showing that the idea is that the there's a change in maybe the complexity of the neurons. There's 
fewer new neurons being produced in the hippocampus and some other brain areas, but the neurons that are existing there are perhaps changing in, in their structure. So becoming a bit smaller and not as complex, but they're having an increase in spines. And that's these little bumps on the, the arbors of the neuron that are important for communication. So there's some restructuring going on at the level of the neuron. And we also know uh, from work of Benedetta Lunar that there's microglia that decrease um, in number. And, you know, glial cells make up, the, I think, quite the majority of the brain, a large majority of the cells in the brain. And so there's this decrease in a number of those cells in, in many areas of the brain across pregnancy in the postpartum period. And that's what we've seen in animal models. And I think that's something similar that's happening in the human brain as well. So some structural changes, but they're important for efficiency. Mm. So that's the, the kind of size bit. And we always talk about the size and we don't talk about the function, I find. I mean, I'm probably guilty of doing this in the past as well. But then we know that the function or the activity uh, of the brain really changes and changes in response to baby cues. So baby crying, baby smiling, um, baby moving, your own baby versus another. You will have a greater response in certain brain areas that are important for, you know, parenting or attachment um, and that activity change or enhancement is really uh, dependent on spending time with your baby. And we're seeing this more and more, especially in the, the research looking at dads. But I think the equivalent could be said of, of mom's brains, too, that there's a, this activity change is really dependent on experience. Um, and it's also heightened, of course, to your baby a little bit in some cases to other kids. You also find them cute. Um, but definitely there's there's this activation there geared towards baby. So smaller brains working better. That's the take home. And I find it so interesting too, that the research that has come out about, you know, you said it, it's any person that is looking after the baby has these brain changes that we now know it's not just the mother. So it's not necessarily um, from being the biological mother and giving birth to the child, but it also for adoptive parents or fathers, like you said, or transgender, um, you know, yeah. parents, Mixed, families, uh, you know, all, everybody. all forms, yeah. <laughs> I think, but I think the size, like the, there are, yeah, you were seeing similar things in lots of different parents that we're studying, but there is something unique about the pregnancy effects on the brain, but in actually in reality with the function and the activity, and even to some extent, the size, we see some similar kinds of ideas or themes in fathers, for example, we haven't studied same sex partners as much for sure. And there hasn't been a lot on brains of single parents, which I think would be interesting. Mm. And also adoptive parents, there's a little bit coming out or a little bit that's come out. But it's really interesting because there is this theme of experience with baby matters for modifying your brain and not necessarily the act of birth itself or pregnancy. Yeah. So I don't know whether I should ask you next whether um, <laughs> the postpartum depression and anxiety and the interference with this um, neural wiring or whether we should go down the route of matrescence and how these changes, how that can affect the mother. Because I feel like a lot of, um, or the majority of the research is to do with the mother and the child bonding or the mother bonding to the child or vice versa, the dyad, um, and, and that we don't really focus very much on the mother's experience of becoming a mother and you and I were just talking before we we pressed record about how it's such a huge thing and we don't talk about it so I was just wondering what your thoughts are to that 
Yeah. I mean, this is true. I think we do, we don't talk about all the details. I mean, we were talking about your book essentially and the, and the details of birth, right? I wish someone had told me and like, yeah. And how much we don't know, like there's things I didn't know about giving birth, but luckily had a friend who, who told me, and that was really helpful. And there's all these kind of gory details. So that's, there's a lot of, I think eh, we glorify motherhood sometimes um, and I think we need to change that and talk about, you know, the hardships and the, and the fact that it is a really difficult time. And maybe this is also why people start to talk about baby brain and mommy brain. I mean, is it a cry for help because they just can't manage with the, the expectation to be a certain way. Right. Maybe or because, um, they, or because we just don't talk about madrescence. Because no, and that's the other, know. we don't talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes when I think about the brain, because we, so much of our research has really been geared towards understanding the, the maternal brain in the context of baby, like you mentioned, in the context of parental caregiving behaviors, which are quite, I mean, I think quite cool to watch, especially in I, other animals. I'm not, you know, sorry, any humans to, do. I didn't mean to no, no, play I know it, play it but... to, No, no, no. But no, I get that. I mean, personally, I love moms and babies seeing them together. But what I also want us to really do in terms of the neuroscience is look at how it, the brain is adapting or preparing and what are the shifts. So what happens in the brain in those areas important for emotion and what happens across pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Like how is that, you know, impacting the mom and what's normal? What happens in terms of memory? You know, mm-hmm. what happens in terms of, and we can even go in terms of relationships, like the attraction yeah. to others and what happens in the brain. And, and I think, you know, I was listening to a radio show the other day about uh, adolescent, the adolescent brain. And it just really made me think about how much, you know, matrescence, like this stage of becoming a mom kind of reflects some key things in adolescence. I mean, we know the hormones are changing. We know the brain's changing. The amygdala is acting in a little bit different way. You know, all, you know, our relationships are changing essentially mm-hmm. often, you know, with our friends and what have you because of the experience we're going through. And so there's a lot of parallels there. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, not everyone goes through matrescence. So it's not like adolescence where pretty much almost 100% of people will go through that. So th- this is a, also a different thing to remember that it's not for everyone and it doesn't happen for everyone. I don't agree. But I think, it, <laughs> I don't, I oh, think everyone goes through it. You do? Yeah, I do. I think that there's Even a non, but non-parents? Oh, sorry. No, sorry. I thought you meant but That's mothers. what I mean. Yes, of yes. course. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, there must be yes. other terms though. There must be like a patrescence for me, for fathers and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm talking about, I think, uh, because adolescents, 100% of females and males will go through it. Almost 100% have the adolescent like hormones and things. Yeah, yeah. But not every every female will get pregnant. So that's where I mean not oh, every yes, female sorry. or every male will go through matrescence or patrescence. Sorry, that, I'm That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I definitely love <laughs> this term matrescence for this stage of development in a woman's life. I just always want to preface it that it's not exactly the same as adolescence because it's not mm-hmm. always biologically determined and unfortunately some people would love to experience it and can't mm-hmm. and and some people don't want to experience it and it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of the world in terms of the brain <laughs> your brain's still wonderfully functioning yes. without having a child, child and probably sometimes much better than others <laughs> okay um <laughs> yeah so that's just to clarify that but i do love the term matrescence just to bring some kind of um uh, 
emphasis to this important developmental stage in a, in a woman's life that often happens. And then of course, patrescence, I think more and more we talk about dads, which is also important and, and partners too. But I, I, you know, sometimes I think we can't forget again about moms and some like this, you know, we slowly started talking about mom's mental health and all of a sudden, boom, dad's mental health becomes a big topic as well. And then I, but I realize it's the two of them, of course, the mental health for both of them, that's really important is, you know, it's a tricky business to try to continue the research or get the research we need on moms, but we also need it on dads, partners and, and so forth. Anyway. Yeah. I, my... I feel that maybe the, I mean, it's, it's so hard because obviously there's a lot of money and funding required for all the work that we need to do. But I think that the primary um, caregiver to the children is the one that needs to be sort of looked after the most because at the yeah. end of the day it's their mental well-being that reflects on the children and the family and so whether that's the mother or the father or you know who, whoever yeah. is yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I think that's that's kind of where the focus needs to be and and I don't know any statistics around it but I am assuming that is primarily the mother would you agree yeah. with that? yeah yeah it's primarily the mom that is the primary caregiver yeah. I mean, for various reasons, right? <clears throat> Sometimes it's just, there's no other option financially because women mm. notoriously don't get paid as well as men and what have you, right? So, um, and sometimes it's absolutely the thing that she wants to do is be primary caregiver. Yeah. But in that regard, I often think, yeah, let's, if she's the, if the mom is the primary caregiver, we do need to, to spend, you know, a fair amount of research mm. uh, in that area before we go to the other areas but and anyway it's kind of crazy that opinion. we haven't looked at it more because you know how much research has been done on adolescents um i think i did a quote the other day like about there's a over 1.2 million or something peer-reviewed journals on adolescents oh, and really? there's like okay. I don't know, 25 or something that have matrescence in the title <laughs> or something oh yeah matrescence isn't a term we use in, in neuroscience for sure no i know yeah well, hopefully it's a it's a thing that will come um yeah. a little bit more as well because i i feel personally from my experience i've got three kids that if i had have known about the term matrescence and kind of understood what it was maybe even in relation to adolescence it would have changed my experience of becoming yeah. a mother a lot uh yeah yeah i mean i think it's yeah and really talking about really talking about the details of what goes on you know we talk about adolescence now we know there's going to be those periods of you know this and that that aren't as comfortable they're going to be more likely to i don't know get upset easily or what have you this is normal in adolescence i think we realize this when we talk about adolescence in the brain or what have you, but we don't do that for moms. No, no. And we don't, we need to do this. This is where I think the matrescence is nice where we can like have a term to capture this transition, but then there's layers within this experience of motherhood that, that need to be modified, right? Expectations of being a mom, how we perceive it, how we, yeah. There's just mm. so much I think we need to, pull apart I agree I agree but I think I think we should stop kind of pretending that when a woman has a baby she's now the woman she was before the baby but now with the baby <laughs> you know because that's yeah that's yeah I mean she great. can definitely have parts of her that are the same like I think there's definitely you know you don't some people find it more transformative than others but they're not yeah. I mean having a child is significant it changes everything in the home 
yeah, eventually you might be back to some of those similar things you did before, or maybe sooner than other times, depending on, on your needs and, and possibilities. But it's, it's an impact having a kid is Mm. changes. I mean, we know it changes your brain for life, but not in a, in a way that's continually changing, right? It's not that your brain at two months postpartum is going to function the same way five, 10 or 20 years later in relation to your child. Mm. It's an evolving process, but definitely it's a huge impact to change in your life to have a child. And I think I would love to see some more research also for further down the track. You know, my kids are 8, 10 and 12 now. And and I feel like that the postpartum period and certainly the fourth trimester is sort of like build us this like the fourth trimester and then you're all good to go. That's it, you know, and I'm years down my matricence journey and my motherhood journey. And I feel like even today I was just like, I feel like this is just it just keeps changing and I keep changing and everything keeps changing. And it's so interesting. Yeah, I think I think my kids are a bit older too, 10 and oh, almost 11 and nine. So and then I think, oh, yeah, what's going on now? I mean, I do. And I, I probably need to delve more into the research. There's been one study I know of in dads that talked about and maybe they did moms too, but I think it was mostly just dads for some reason. So dad's brain plasticity early in life was predicted of how the child did at age six in school or something oh, as a reflection okay. of perhaps flexibility or parenting, you know, early in life. So there's like one study, I have to go back, I don't think they did moms in that though. But so but this is interesting to look at it in the context of how is the parental brain changing or how flexible it is it early on? And is that actually predictive of of a child's well being? This interesting, but also what's going on in a parent's brain when their kid is six and 10 and 15? Mm. And how is that changing as their child is changing? And I think it's changing quite a bit. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's evolving relationship. Yeah. And, and I know you're a psychotherapist as well. I'm wondering also how much is it change your relationship with yourself? Like how much are you you changing and and how is it changing? You know, has everything, everything changing as your children are changing and as they're, they're, you know, hitting, um, milestones or hitting goals that they set for themselves and how does it change within yourself I think they're very interesting questions to ask yeah it's very reflective right and I think a lot of individuals you know a lot of things change there's a lot of guilt that comes with motherhood so there's also a lot of feelings they didn't feel beforehand perhaps because they thought it would be different Mm. Um, but then there's also those stories of individuals who feel like more creative or more empowered or uh, you know, there's definitely some shifts in identity. There has to be because you now mm. have a child that actually has changed your focus to some degree, whether it's it's positive or negative. But there's something about the dynamic that's changed in your 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 household in your life. It's also someone needs you, mm. and that can be really scary for people, or that can be really welcomed for people as well. And I think that can also fluctuate during the day because sometimes you don't want to be with baby and that's okay. I mean, I think that we need to normalize that. You never want to be with anyone 24 seven, right? And so we need to make sure that there's someone else there, one or two other adults as much as possible to to support parenting and primary caregivers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, Yeah. All right, let's, 
change a little bit, but same, same yeah. kind of topic, but you, you do a lot of work with maternal mental health. Um, and so when we talk about the rewiring of the brain, um, the, how, how can I phrase this first? The, the neural changes can interact, uh, sorry, the neural changes of say anxiety and depression can interact with the maternal changes that are happening that are these caregiving changes. Um, and can you just talk a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, that's, I started this review or I was asked to join um, Dr. Allison Fleming and Joe Lonstein. He's also a professor who studies, they both study motherhood. And they asked me to join with them to write this review in 2017 on the neurobiology of postpartum depression and anxiety, which at the time was, you know, I, I mean, quite a big, it got a lot of press. And from there, we started talking more about the neglected neurobiology of maternal mental health. And I think that as we were writing the review, I was shocked. We were perhaps all shocked. Maybe, uh, you know, you know, we were shocked. I was shocked that there's not very much research in this area in terms of brain health. So if you think, um, you know, now we know often it's perinatal depression. So depression happens in pregnancy too, but uh, you know, okay, let's talk postpartum depression. What 15% of women in the postpartum period will have some form of depression. Um, anxiety is super common. In fact, when we wrote the review, there were no studies looking at how the brain of a mother uh, is affected by anxiety specifically. It was usually in studies where the the mother was also depressed. Mm -hmm. And most of the research was on how depression affects the, the brain. And then there's only like 20, 25 studies at the time. It's been shifting and increasing. And this is in humans, I should, I should mm -hmm. say. But if you think like 15% of women worldwide will struggle, and this is a mental health concern. And for me, mental health means brain. And there's 25 studies. Mm. I mean, come on. Mm. This is like, this is neglect. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And this comes yeah. back to this, like, let's beautify motherhood and, and no, you're going to be happy and no, it can't be that bad story. Mm. But there's also in the research, we, there's a lot of investment in child development and child health. So often we're looking at stressed or anxious moms in the context of child development and in the neuroscience world. Um, yeah, definitely. We need more research on brain changes in mothers and who are struggling with mental health and there's more coming and but uh yeah so that's you know the I, the main thing is that it's neglected this area of research it needs to change it's starting to change but we really need to like deep dive into what's going on in terms of of the you know brain of women when when they are struggling with a maternal mental illness but what happens in the brain is probably the next question. And, and what our review showed and what the research is showing is that indeed there are very similar brain areas affected by depression postpartum um, that are also affected in depression at other times in life. So that's number one, you know, your the brain is a, it has similar areas that are affected by depression, but the way it's affected in a mom can be quite a bit different. So the same brain areas are affected, but their activity or the responses or the biology or the, the neurochemicals can be different. We're starting to see this with our research in animal models as well um, and different than what happens in depression at other times in life. So that's number one. Number two, a lot of these brain areas like the amygdala, for example, are that are affected by depression are also really important in parenting. And so there's a bit of this overlap where, uh, you know, an individual, a mom with postpartum depression, her brain is having a hard time functioning. 
um, which would, you know, make sense for her having a hard time parenting because it's an overlap in the, in, in some of these areas, right? These brain areas that are important for parenting now aren't functioning as well with the depression. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a kind of a complex system to think about, but there's also a lot of, I mean, there's a lot going in your on in your brain, definitely during this time, but there's also a lot of plasticity. And I always think this is something we can think of in terms of hope for treatments, hopes for interventions, because we know interventions and treatments. I mean, I mean, I'm always happy to talk about medications and pregnancies. I spent a lot of time doing research on this, but not just, you don't need medications to change your brain. Mm -hmm. Your brain changes when you're interacting with other people. Mm -hmm. And there's been a couple studies now showing that perceived social support or a parenting intervention can change the parental brain and for the better. So I think that, that we have to remember that, you know, the, there is a plasticity there that can be um, modified in the parental brain with different types of interventions. Mm -hmm. But it is, I mean, I'm always, you know, disappointed in how science has neglected motherhood and how neuroscience maybe has neglected reproduction and the importance of it, especially in the female brain. And I, and I think we can do better in, mm. in this area for sure. We will, we're gonna make a start yeah. on it and do it. But I do wonder with the, with the statistics of 15% of women um, suffering from postnatal, postnatal, we call it postnatal, yeah. postpartum depression. Yeah. Um, I wonder how, that there are just the ones that are diagnosed. How many are out there suffering silently and how many are afraid to put their hand up because they don't want to, you know, they have fears of losing their child or they're worried about getting a label because again, we've put this kind of negative spin on it. Um, like the mummy brain thing we were talking about earlier, yeah. where it's women are now going, well, I don't want anyone to think I'm not coping because I actually really wanted this baby. And so even though I'm suffering, like there's no tomorrow, I don't want to put my hand up because I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a huge question. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of, and I was just talking about, you know, depression because we also know obsessive thoughts. Um, mm. There's that happens quite a bit. You know, we know there's an impact of the trauma of birth and some women will have PTSD from that. We know psychosis happens in one to two in 1000 in the postpartum, which is super um, significant and impactful, but also very treatable, but treatment needs to happen immediately in those cases. Um, so we know there's a lot of struggles, but we also know in terms of the depression, it can really vary. And I think that that it's okay to feel anxious and depressed sometimes. This is kind of normal. I think we need to understand what's the normal range of emotions in pregnancy and postpartum. Um, and then within depression, it, it can be quite complex. There's a paper that came out that showed there's probably six subtypes of perinatal depression, um, some that has more anxiety, some that happens more in pregnancy and what have you. So there's also a complexity to it. And, and I think we, you know, there's another aspect we don't talk enough about, and that is the rage that often comes yes. with the depression. Yes. And so, and the anxiety the, as well. yeah, and the anxiety. And so often there's a complex interaction between all these things. And we think depression is crying for sure, but it's in lots of people, it's not that right. And yeah. so there's like, yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's a complex world. And I wonder uh, how much, yeah, how, how many people do really struggle? And is it just the fact that we haven't normalized to a large degree that it is normal to struggle 
like have significant bad days. Like I would love to see what's the normal, like happy, sad ratio in the average person. And mm. then, cause sometimes I think we forget that it's okay to have a couple down days or even yeah. like a bad week and that's okay. It doesn't mean you have a mental illness, but then sometimes that can get maybe diagnosed or quickly given, you know, treatment when we could maybe just ride it out a bit more. Like it's a complex world. I think the mental health yeah. diagnosis world, um, I also I think wonder, more awareness is needed. Yeah, definitely. And, and I also wonder if we had more education around, um, matrescence and motherhood when we're or before we have our children then yeah. when something like that happened because when you you know we were talking about this um glorifying and kind of this fantasy of motherhood that's like some sort of <laughs> movie where it's just the most beautiful thing ever and you'll feel amazing all the time and you know the house is clean and whatever it is that your your fictitious kind of imagination yeah. of it is if we had a more realistic approach to it and explain to women um if, from an educational perspective like in an antenatal class or something like that what it's really like then maybe if she felt um you know extensive baby blues or it, it might not even be quite depression that she would go oh well this is part of matrescence so this is part of my brain changing this is part of me changing and she had yeah. some sort of support network to go to i wonder i just you know no. And you know, this is interesting because we, I just had the conversation and it's going to be uh, in my podcast today. Uh, it comes out with Dr. Carmine, Car Carmine um, Periante at King College London. He's a perinatal psychiatrist. And he, we talked about childbirth, actually the expectation of childbirth. Mm -hmm. And he says, he sees a lots of women come in and they think they're supposed to be all quiet and it's going to be not painful because they did their like extra training to have this peaceful birth and it's not like that and we talked about I mean it culturally I guess it varies and and how women expect their birth to be because uh, I don't think that same story is here and where I am based in France but uh he talked about how you I mean I think this goes along with your comment or you know suggestion of more education like how people come in with this idea around childbirth and it doesn't go like that mm -hmm. like it doesn't I mean there's lots of stuff that can happen but then that that is like a first step to failure as a parent because you didn't do what you thought you're going to do. Whereas, you know, I really think we need to be really educated about what's going to happen, what's, you know, expectation. For me, I remember someone told me, you know, getting a C-section is not healthy and non-parent. It was actually my brother-in-law. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, having a baby uh, and surviving is most important. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't end up with a C-section in the end, but I had very low expectations of the process because I knew how challenging it can be and how, you know, ideally, of course, I wanted my birth to go a certain way, but I, I also didn't go in um, expecting that to happen. I, my goal was live, healthy baby, and I survive mm. bare minimum. Um, and it was much better than that in the end. But I think people go in with, this idea because they're not educated around the process of even being mm. pregnant, what it will feel like. Mm. Um, and then the postpartum, Absolutely. I also had someone tell me about pregnancy. She, this was actually, I think about this often now she wished she had a cheat sheet because there's so <laughs> many do's and don'ts. Like you can just go down a rabbit hole of wild do's and don'ts when you're pregnant. Don't eat this. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't whatever. But, like, it, you know, but how do you wade through it all? And I think we're not clear in our, you know, our resources, exactly the, the bare, the basics, like what are the basics and what do people need to know and educate and, them on this? 
And even if we just start with not working on what the basics are, but rather just taking the sort of the sheen off it, you know, and just go, well, yeah. I'll tell you what it's not going to be. <laughs> and we go from there because I think if we go into it more open-minded, and I, I say to a lot of my clients um, that are expecting their baby, write a birth plan, write it all down, share it with your partner, share it with your um, caregiver, share it with everyone, then scrunch it up and throw it in the bin. And all you need to worry about is that your baby comes out healthy, like you said, and that you're healthy in the process. You know, that's all yeah. that matters. So have your idea and have your vision of what you would like it to be and then just put it to the side. And I think that if yeah. you start from a place of what what it's not and where it could go rather than what it is, I think that might just sort of normalise it all a little bit more, all of it. Yeah, and I yeah, definitely. And I also, you know, I remember with my first, I was also very aware that mental health could be a struggle. And I think it's, I knew then I was prepared, like I knew who I could reach out to, mm. if I needed support. And I thought like, that's really important as well, so because important. you might actually survive your birth and be fine. And the baby might be healthy, but it might have been something you need to like, talk about it. Didn't there's lots of things that you didn't realize were going to happen because of whatever, you mm. know, it's a process that can has surprises. But I think it's also important to be like, even though everything went well, it you could feel real crap for mm. whatever reason. And mm. then to go and be able to unpack that. I think that having, for me, it's important. It was important to know where I could reach out for support if I needed it. Yeah. And I think like some, I mean, some countries have better access to, to resources than others, but it's always good to know where, where you are based and where what are the resources to help support your mental health if you might need that? Yeah, well, that, let's that let's share that. Important. Let's put that on, on the cheat sheet. I think that's really important. Yeah, really yeah, important. Definitely. Just to know who is there just in case. And, you know, I like to delve also, um, I, I encourage women to delve into their history if there's any yeah. mental health history because we know that there's, you know, a lot of genetics involved as well with all sorts of things, including um, addictions and dependencies. Yeah. And just go, you know, what could come up because at the end of the day your matrescence experience could be a real mixed bag and it might not even yeah. make sense to you but to just go what could happen and not even you know take it with a grain of salt but just go what could happen and what could i do if it does and i think having a service like that that would be invaluable yeah yeah yeah, yeah because we know a lot about the past can predict the present and we might not have seen it in the past but now when we look back we realize ah yes my need for x was there mm -hmm. and now it really is an issue because i have baby and i can't control this which yeah. i could before right mm -hmm. and so tapping into that can be really helpful beforehand or at least be able to talk to someone as you're going through the process then of parenting when things come up it's really important mm -hmm. yeah. i think i read something recently where a lot someone was saying how a lot of their childhood issues came up for them when they became a parent and yeah. and they had to work through a lot of stuff yeah, yeah. when I, after I yeah exactly I had two boys and then a girl and I was I would say quite no quite fine after I had my boys um but when I had my daughter that's when it all came she was my third and so I was told from the hospital this is your third baby you really should know what you're doing by now that's what they said to me, oh. but I didn't know what I was doing because she was a completely different bag. And, um, and I went to therapy and my therapist said often for women, it's when they have a daughter that a lot of stuff comes up 
which yeah it's just something we could never research and never understand but you know the data's there yeah this is interesting because I, I yeah there's something about this uh it's interesting and I think it can play on with well of course experiences growing up having a girl or how will she survive in this society and culture exactly yeah there could be all sorts of concerns so interesting and so much um Yeah. there's so much um opportunity for research and finding out more and that's partly why i love what we do i mean you're much more Yeah. in the hands on the in the test tubes and stuff these days than i am but Yeah. um i love that there is so much room to support women and to to help women and what you're doing is just thank you so much like on behalf of everybody <laughs> thank you for Oh, no. what you're doing it's just amazing and we need it and we need to talk about it because if we have these conversations if we if i heard this conversation that we're having right now before i had my children it honestly would have changed my life so thank Thank you you. and thank you Yeah. so much for being here and, and sharing all your expertise with us and i hope that we can talk again <laughs> because Yeah. there's so much i would lo love to ask you and talk to you about Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you for all that you're doing. And I think continuing to change the narrative around matrescence, motherhood, what it is, the reality of it, the, you know, I think we need to keep talking about it, like you Yeah. said. And also in the research world, we have to start you know, encouraging research and demanding research in this area a bit Mm. more and being, you know, advocates for ourselves as mothers, but also as researchers um, and really explore questions. There's so much we don't know. Um, Yeah. but there's a lot we do know. And like you said, there's a lot actually practical stuff we know that we're also not sharing. And Yes. so that could be helpful. And I think that's also important to do. Yeah, So thank absolutely. you. Thank Yeah. you so much for, for coming on the show, Jody. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been great. Thank I'm so you. glad. I wish we could be in person. Yes, well, maybe one day we will be. That would be One wonderful. day. I <laughs> know. I have I'll to come come and visit make you. the trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'll figure it out somewhere yeah. in between. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Mama Unleashed and for your interest in learning more about your brain and motherhood. I truly believe that knowledge and understanding around what happens to women when we become mothers are the foundation to feeling happy and motherhood. I look forward to bringing you more knowledge, information and tools so you can thrive in motherhood next time. But before you go, could you please take just 10 seconds to rate and review Mama Unleashed wherever it is you're listening to this episode. This helps other mothers find the podcast and get access to this information too. Thank you very much. I'm Dr. Jennifer Hacker-Pearson. See you next time.